Our memory verse for this week is Isaiah 53, 2. Isaiah 53, 2. I've already been asked if I was trying to uh, memorize the whole chapter with this verse. It is longer, but if you take last week and this week, they average out about to the average. All right, here we go. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah 53, 2. And so work on that for next week, and then tonight uh, we'll give you an opportunity to recite verse 1. Also in this evening's message, I'll be preaching from Isaiah 53. As we are working to memorize that passage, I wanted to preach it, give us a greater understanding of the chapter that we are memorizing. All right, uh, at this time, we will ask our ushers to come that we may receive our tithes and offering. While we are receiving the offering here in our service, let me share a great need, your prayers. Please pray with us that God would use and bless the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. This program is a ministry of Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland. If the Lord would lay on your heart to donate to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour, we will provide our contact information at the end of this program. We will now return to the service. Jesus bids us shine with a clear, pure light Like a little candle burning in the night In this world of darkness we must shine You in your small corner and I in mine Jesus bids us shine first of all for Him sees and knows it if our light is dim he looks down from heaven sees us shine you in your small corner and i in mine jesus bids us shine then for all around many kinds of darkness in this world abound sin and want and sorrow we shine. You in your small corner and I in mine. Jesus bids us shine as we work for him, bringing those that wander from the paths of sin. He will ever help us if we shine. You in your small corner and I in mine. You in your small corner Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 14. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. 
And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your many mercies to us. We thank you for the privilege we have to be in God's house today. Uh, we pray for our country. We thank you for the freedoms and blessings we have. Uh, we pray that you'd help us to be a testimony uh, and a light in the darkness. We pray your blessing on the service today. Bless our pastor as he comes to bring the word. Uh, we pray that you would speak to each heart. Help us to be submissive to your will. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen. God bless you. Be seated. We continue this morning in our study as the Lord is teaching his disciples during the sunset season of his earthly ministry. We're down to those last few months before he is crucified, buried, risen, and ascends to the right hand of the Father. And during this time, he, he's giving those very important lessons on how to minister as ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is important? What is valuable? What do we need to know? And in this time, he's teaching two great lessons about prayer. First, he's teaching us about prayer through these parables, some things about the God of our prayer, who we pray to. And the second parable, he's teaching us about our heart in our prayers. You see, everybody needs to pray. Every man, woman, and child around the world of every generation. The lost needs to pray with a brokenness to come with repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. There, there's no other prayer promise given to a lost person. Uh, they, and I know a lot of lost people do a lot of praying. Not all of them. But there are many who do a lot of praying. And I'm not saying that God never answers those prayers but he never gave any other promises to prayers like he did to you and I as believers. The promise of prayer that he would answer to the lost person is when they come believing on the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. He will always readily answer that request. Then for the believer, we need to pray about everything. 
There's nothing in our life that we ought not to pray about. The big things, the little things, those little things that we think we can handle. We still need to pray and and take them before the Lord. Right here in our midst, in this gathering this morning, we are represented with a host of needs for prayer as to why to prayer. Whether it be for financial wisdom or supply, whether it be for a loved one that is lost, that we we beseech the Lord and we intercede on their behalf for their salvation, or whether it be grieving the loss of a family member, or whether it be with some of the decisions and wisdom for the daily walk that we have to make. Just right here this morning, is a broad representation of why we need to pray, why men ought always to pray. I want us to look at that first parable and learn about the God of our prayers. Now, in this parable about the judge and the widow, this is predominantly a parable of contrast, not a parable of comparison. And what I mean by that, when it's a parable of comparison, it gives us the illustration and then the lesson it's trying to teach ought to be like that. When it is a parable of contrast, the lesson that is being presented, the truth is in contrast to what is being exposed. And so this is a parable of contrast. And we begin with the judge. He's introduced in in verse 2, in a city there was a judge which feared not God, neither had regard for man. Here was a corrupt man. I think you and I know what corrupt politicians and corrupt judges are like. We've seen them. We've heard of them. We've read about them. We're frustrated with them. We wish we had godly uh, elected officials, and and there are a handful handful in a few places. But by and large, most of them have a level of corruption that's not good for America. There's judges that are absolutely corrupt. Now, here's a judge... He's corrupt. And the reason he's corrupt, he didn't fear God. When you don't fear God, you don't care for what God says is right and wrong, doesn't really care for justice. So here's a corrupt judge. Not only that, but he didn't care about man. Judges are supposed to be either appointed or or retained because of their compassion both for the law and society to make sure the law stands true. But he doesn't care whether man receives justice or not, whether he adjudicates according to the law or not. Here we have a corrupt man. Now, to give you a little bit of the setting, understand this is not a 21st century judge with his courtroom. In our era, you'll find courtrooms of different magnitude and different qualities. It's not uncommon to think of these great big stone buildings and and maybe some marble with them and and one of the ornate buildings of the uh, county or the federal building or whatever and go into the uh, courtroom itself and you have all of this magnificent woodworking and everything (coughs) and they have the security and the privacy of a courtroom. No, This man most likely had a tent. And it was out by the gate 
or maybe in the center of the city. And depending on the weather, the the sides of the tent may be rolled up so everybody could see what's going on inside the courtroom. He would have two or three or more attendants around him, some to provide the security for his his, uh, officiating over the trials or the hearings, and uh, some there to set up the docket for what he would try. And so that's the setting. And in this, the widow was turned away. The judge could be seated at his bench or however he presented himself. He could see who was coming, who was going. He could see who's visiting with the uh, uh, attendants to set up the docket. And here was a widow. And she was turned away. Now, whether she ever was able to talk to the judge initially or it was simply the attendant that turned her away to start with, nonetheless, we know that the judge instigated this in this way, managed it in this way. Now, here's something else to understand about how their process worked. If you wanted to get on the docket, pay a little bit of bribery money, and you get on the docket. If you wanted to be advanced on the docket and say, well, I don't want to wait till 4 o'clock this afternoon. I'd like to get in to take care of it uh, by 10 o'clock this morning. Uh, I've got a ball game to go watch this afternoon. And, and you had the money to pay for and get pay more money than the others had bribed to get on the docket. You could get moved up the docket. And if uh, you were of the nature that maybe it wasn't going to come in your favor, you could pay more bribe money to make sure that the ruling was in your favor. And so it was one of those perilous times where judges had no regard for God or man. And with that, bribery was the means of the day. Uh, It's not been that long ago uh, before the passing of evangelist Jerry Lewis. Some of you know him. Some of you have heard him preach. Uh, For our radio listeners, this is not the comedian that that was out of Hollywood. This was an evangelist with that name, same name, a very godly man that wanted to walk with God. But uh, I remember one of the events that happened in his life. He had been up in Nebraska hunting. And when he got back to Texas, uh, he and his wife have a daughter and son-in-law that are missionaries in Mexico. And they had asked him to come down and preach a week of meetings. He hurried up and returned back to Texas, changed out to his clothing and all of that so he could go. But there was one problem. He forgot to take a shotgun out from behind the seat. No ammunition, no other weaponry or whatever. And he went across the border and he was stopped and and he thought, as he was waiting to try to find out what was going to happen, he thought they wanted his boots. He had new boots. And he just kind of thought, well, they're just trying to make it difficult so they could talk him out of his boots and let him go. Kind of a bribe type thing. Well, long behold, they come and said, we found a shotgun in the back seat of your car. You are creating an insurrection and you're going to lead a rebellion. One shotgun, no ammunition. I'm not sure how you figure that. But they they were saying this in hopes that they could get a bribe, that they could just have the gun, get a bribe, and he'd go on his way. He was of great integrity. He would not pay a bribe. He went to jail for an extended period of time. The Mexican jails are horrible. And he said uh, they would bring their soup in 
take a 55-gallon drum, cut it in half, and they would have their soup in half of that drum with handles, and they would dip it out in, in their little serving trays to have their meal each day. And he said everybody would get their soup and look to see if there was even a bean within the soup for called bean soup. At night when they slept, they, the crowding was overwhelmingly so they would line up like hot dogs on a grill but on the floor and they would have to lay there and the guard would come by about every hour two hours uh, rake across the bars and say okay roll over to your other side multiple times the warden or whoever would come and speak with him and basically let him know you know if you'd pay us a bribe we'd let you out of here if we would if you'd just pay a bribe we'd let you out of here but he would not do that. Eventually, I believe it was either a senator, Texas senator, or a congressman that intervened on his behalf to get him released. But do you know, bribery was the means of corruption and getting what you want. And, and that's exactly what was taking place here. And, and so if he couldn't get a bribe, if he couldn't get money, he would not adjudicate her problem. And he kept turning her away. The only reason this judge finally adjudicated her case is because she wouldn't go away. Now, I don't know what she might be saying standing around the court, but she came evidently every day that he was there uh, in, uh, in session. And uh, she stayed and she came and she came. He may have thought after two, maybe three days, she'll go away and be done with it. But it must have extended beyond that. And finally he said, okay, let her in. I'll take care of her case because it's not going to look good for me. So that's the judge. Then we have the widow, a woman with a case that needed to be heard and nowhere else to go. We do not know what her case was specifically, but we presume it was a legitimate case that needed to be addressed and to avenge her, her uh, uh, affirmity or her adversity. But he would not. And she kept coming. But here's a woman that faced three obstacles in this corrupt court of law. Number one, she was a woman. I realize that sounds extremely offensive in today's society, but in that culture, the woman did not have equal rights or an equal standing before the law. And so for a woman to come to the court and, and expect something, she would be greatly disappointed. Not only was she a woman, but she was a widow, which means she had no husband to stand on her behalf. And so for, for a married couple, a woman may have a, a, a personal business that she's operating or something happening, and there's a grievance that needs to be avenged through a judge. Her husband could take it and would be more likely to get into the, the courtroom to have it adjudicated than what a woman would. But here she had no husband as a widow <coughs> and evidently no adult son to stand on her behalf either. Her third obstacle was she was poor. Even if she would have paid a bribe, she had no money to pay a bribe. So there was no hope other than to come back day after day after day, hoping the judge would give in and hear her case. Now, folks, let me interject here. That is in absolute contrast 
to God's way and Christian's way and the Christian way, the Bible way of caring for widows. Many times in the New Testament, we are commanded to care and pray and watch out for our widows. And it behooves us with a wonderful spirit and a loving compassion for them to do that. But they did not care about that. Though rejected, she would not give up. Which the irritated judge was finally moved to action. Because of her persistence, the judge avenges the widow. Now, let's take the lessons and the principles that we learned from parable number one about the God of our prayer. Jesus speaks of the Lord, the Father, in contrast to the judge. Our God and our Heavenly Father is holy and just. He does care about biblical truth because it's God's truth. He does care about right and wrong. And he does care about people. And so here we have a contrast about our Heavenly Father. He never is corrupt. He never seeks bribes. And he never is self-serving in how he addresses the needs. Not so much about importune prayer, but how our Father is ready and willing to speedily answer our prayers. I know many will use this parable as a lesson on importune prayer, which means just keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. This is not so much about that. And I'm sure over the years of my ministry, I've probably looked at it that way. But if that be the case, then we would have to compare our Heavenly Father like the judge as one that is corrupt that does not care about man. That is wrong. The Bible says, cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He has said, come to the throne of grace that you may find help in time of need. Our heavenly father cares. He says specifically that our heavenly father desires to answer our requests speedily. Even in the context it does talk about, and it's not wrong to continue to pray and, and persevere in prayer on matters until God gives you peace about an answer. But sometimes it's us who struggle with peace with his answer, and it's not that God was slow in giving us the answer. But here we would understand that our Father, our Heavenly Father, is ready and willing to give us answers speedily. That is our Father. That is who we pray to. Then in contrast to the widow, she was a lady that was most likely unknown to the judge, not related to the judge, insignificant, just another person that he did not care about. But for you and I, he talks about us, he he uses the term elect and has nothing to do with Calvinism but it is talking about you and I as believers, as children of God. We are in contrast to the unnamed widow. While she had no apparent significance to the judge, you and I have been made a child of God. John says, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. It talks about the great doctrine of adoption. Adoption. 
There are some children who have been adopted, and, and they've become adults, but they were adopted in their youth. They, they struggle with the bitterness of, of the, either the rejection of their parents or the calamity of their parents. And so often that adopted relationship can be a strained relationship, and what a tragedy that is. But do you know it is a picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ? We weren't born naturally into the family. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we were adopted. And with that, we get all of the privileges. I hate to use the word rights, but we get all of the privileges of a natural born child. It says we're joint heirs with Christ. What a blessing. And so sometimes I look at those that have been adopted and I am reminded of how I am adopted into the Lord's family. And what a privilege, what a blessing, what a delight. And as a father myself of four children that loves our children, from, from the birth of our very first one through today, I always want to give them what they need. But at the same time, I've always wanted to withhold from them what they ought not to have. And as a father, I understand the value of that. And there were times our children would come and ask me for things and, and I could see that it could be good for them and okay for them and not a problem for them. And if I could, I would delight in giving that to them. Our Heavenly Father is not limited like I am limited in what I can give. But if I could and it was good for them, I would delight in giving it to them and give it to them in a timely fashion or as quickly as I could. As a father, it is always a joy to see the joy on their face when they have received what they've come and asked for. But at the same time as a father, I knew there were things that would not be good for my children. Or the timing would not be good for my children. I did not give our son a four-inch pocket knife when he was two years old. I waited until he was three or four. No, he was older than that. <laughs> he was older than that. But do you know... As parents, we know what our children don't know and don't understand. And so too, our Heavenly Father. He knows what is good for us. He knows what is the right time for us. He knows what is not good for us. <coughs> and He always answers our prayer with what's best for us. And so here we see a contrast between the widow and the child of God. Not only are we a child of God adopted into his family, but also I believe it's in the Gospel of John. He says, I now call you friends. There is somebody that we, we have known. They always talked about, this is my best friend. They had many best friends. This is my best friend. This is my best friend. 
you know what? In God's eyes, as a child of God, we're all his best friend. There's another principle that was given in the introduction of this great lesson in verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Because here's a fact. Either we pray or we faint. He gives those two choices. The word faint, we understand it as blacking out, passing out. But in this context, it means to become discouraged, to become a quitter. When we faint for failure of prayer, we can become disheartened about our God. We can think unbiblical thoughts about our God. And we can begin developing unreasonable expectations of our God when we faint. But instead, we ought always to pray. There's never a bad time to pray. Or it may not be appropriate to stop in the middle of a busy street and pray out loud. You may want to pray while you're walking across the street. It would not be appropriate to pray with your eyes closed while you're driving down I-25. But it's okay to pray with your eyes open. It is always good to pray. Men ought always to pray or else we will faint. And then he closes this parable with a matter of faith. Do understand that this follows a chapter that deals with the end times and events of the end times. And it talks about how bad the end times are going to be. And one of the questions that, or one of the things that we understand, there's going to be a great falling away from biblical truth and from God and from the faith. And now as he comes to the end of this lesson on prayer, he says in verse, let me get the right verse. Verse 8 in the last half, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? That's a rhetorical question. I believe the answer would be yes, he will find some. But if, if we are in the last days before the rapture, will he find faith? And will you have faith? And our faith is many times demonstrated in how we pray and what we believe about God. And so what a great lesson. Number one, from the first parable, we are invited to come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. We may come with faith to our heavenly Father who truly cares and will speedily answer our requests according to his will. This is the God of our prayers. When we kneel on Thursday evening to pray, this is the God we pray to. When you have your family devotions, this is the God you pray to. When you sit down before a meal and you ask God to bless it and you thank it for it, this is the God to whom you pray.
Now, the second lesson is equally valuable to understand, and they really go hand in hand because the first lesson says this is our God and we may come to him and he will speedily answer. But in the second parable, it talks about our heart and our attitude, how we come to God. And he uses two men that are socially at opposite ends and here spiritual opposites. In the second parable, he uses a Pharisee and a publican to illustrate the importance of our heart when we come to prayer. It is first the Pharisee that is exposed. They were known for their arrogance and their self-righteousness. Do you know what? Self-righteousness is always, always, always a fruit of pride. It'll always go with it. And when there is pride in the heart, it will always produce self-righteousness. Somehow we think we are better than most and good enough to be accepted by God without doing it God's ways. And the good works that we do should be sufficient to make us acceptable with God. Oh, we may not be as arrogant and rude and and, and snobbish as the Pharisees. Maybe gentle and intelligent and brilliant and kind and benevolent. But if we trust self-righteousness, it is always the fruit of pride and it will never make us acceptable before God. But here's the Pharisee. The Pharisee was a sect that started in the time of Jonathan who uh, followed (coughs) Judas Maccabees. This was during the 400 silent years. You don't hear them spoken of in the Old Testament. It didn't exist in the Old Testament. The 400 silent years is that time between the last book of the Bible, Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, with the first advent of Jesus Christ. There was 400 years of silence. The reason it is called silent years is because there was no prophecy, no message from God for 400 years until the angel came and spoke to uh, uh, John the Baptist, mother, and Mary. And finally, heaven broke its silence. It was not silent because it was a uh, simple and a safe period of history. It was very turbulent, very turbulent for the Jewish people. They have certain holidays to, today that, that stem back to, to the violence and the victories that they experienced during these 400 years. And so after Judas Maccabees, there was Jonathan, and it was during his leadership that the sect of the Pharisees, and there's about 6,000 of them during that time frame, uh, and uh, that sect came to pass and came into existence. And uh, here's what it says about them. Their purpose was to enforce in the strictest manner all of the requirements of the traditions of the elders, and that was put first rather than the elements of the Levitical law plus all of their interpretations of Levitical law. Because of their pride and hypocrisy, they were despised by most of the Jewish people. Folks, many of the things that the Pharisees stood for 
were good and right. In fact, they talked about their tithe and fasting and different things like that. And this Pharisee talks about it as well. And when the Lord encountered one of them, he said, these things ought you to do. And then he confronted them with what they ought not to do. It's a dangerous thing to try to legislate, coerce, and superimpose conformity to the Word of God. Because with conformity is an abandonment of a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there, there, there are some things that in the operations of the church we have to expect a level of conformity but our anticipation our understanding is that conformity is because there is a spiritual heart to walk like that and a spiritual maturity and we can only see what's happening on the outside God knows what's on the inside and a lot of times it'll be revealed by the spirit with which a person walks But if the only thing that we seek is conformity, then failure is big. And we find in these Pharisees, they were all about getting everybody to conform to things without really having a heart for God. In fact, rarely did they have a real heart for God. And they never inspired to have a conviction of what's right and wrong to live because you had a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But this was the Pharisees. Jesus said this man prayed with himself. I don't know if this is the Lord's way of sarcasm or exactly what it is. But here's a man, uh, the two came to the temple. They probably didn't walk together because the Pharisee would not walk with a publican. Uh, they would have to be uh, feet or yards or a great distance apart and, and don't even get close to me. But both of them went and were there about the same time because as the Pharisee was praying, he made a contrast or a comparison to the publican. So they were there at the same time. But do you see, he went to the place of prayer and the place of God with the intent of praying. But if you don't have a right relationship with God, you're not praying to God, you're praying with yourself, just like this Pharisee. That does not mean that God cannot hear it and does not hear it. But there's a great difference between praying with yourself It's just like if you're talking to yourself and I happen to be close, I can hear you talking to yourself. And then I begin to question when you begin answering yourself. But do you know, here is a man that prayed with himself, boasted of what he did and what he didn't do as a matter of merit, almost demanding God's approval. Even compared himself to the publican In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let's take just a moment and look at that verse, a very crucial verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, we read in God's word, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some 
that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. The fact of the matter is you can always find, always find yourself better than somebody else. Some of the most evil tyrants of history or today could probably compare themselves to a more evil tyrant than they and conclude they themselves are pretty good. Here is a man. These two are on the social opposites and spiritual opposites. He was rejected by the Jewish people privately and quietly because of their pride and hypocrisy. The publican was rejected publicly. But he compared himself, I am so much better than that person. Folks, when you come to God, there's only one plumb line to compare yourself, and that's the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I will assure you that every one of us will fulfill the scripture that says, for all have fallen short. You, me, everyone. And when we recognize how we fall short, then it brings us to the knees and realize we have no merit. The other was the publican. As I said, a total contrast to the Pharisee. A publican was a tax collector. While the Pharisee at least had a pretense of loyalty to the Jewish people, the publican, in essence, betrayed the Jewish people for his own profit with all the power of the Roman government to enforce his deeds. While both were both thieves and sinners, here is the difference. The publican demonstrates the heart of repentance. He smote his breast and understood the heart of the sin problem. It wasn't his hands that were taking the money. It wasn't his tongue that was demanding the money. It was a sin problem within his heart, and he smote his breast realizing of the sin nature that he needed to confess and repent of and asking God to forgive him. And he pleaded the mercy of God, realizing he had no merit in his standing before the heavenly father. This man went away justified. The prevailing lesson from number two in this parable While we are truly invited to the throne of grace to find help in time of need and come to the Heavenly Father who will speedily answer our request, we must come with a right heart. All the prayer promises for the believer issued from God's throne have come to us not because we have one iota of merit, but they are out of the fountain of the unsearchable riches of God's grace. We did not deserve his salvation. That was his grace. But at once having salvation, who could ever ask for more than that or go beyond that? But our Heavenly Father has. He daily loadeth us with his benefits, and they are all out of this gushing fountain of his unmeasurable grace. You see... We must come with a spirit of humility. God has invited and commanded us to pray, yet we must pray with the right heart. 
Men, that's used generically of men, women, and children everywhere, ought always to pray. But we must pray with faith and humility. And that ought not to be hard because our Heavenly Father is so good and so deserving. As a believer, what do you have in your life, big or small, that you need to pray about? Do you understand His throne of grace is wide open to you with a great invitation, a perpetual invitation that you may come at any time of the day, night, and find help in time of need. But let us come with faith and with humility before our Lord. Father, we come to you, and what a valuable lesson, Father, because we're living in times where we need to pray. And we need to speak with our Lord and we need the help and we need to cast our cares upon you. So help us be reassured of the God to whom we pray, of how wonderful you are and that we don't have to, to, to uh, twist your arm. We don't have to coerce, but you are always ready to speedily answer with what is good for us. And so let us understand our God and also, Father, I pray, let us understand our heart. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Once more, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again, be sure you are... Living by faith, living by faith, in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in His great love. Sheltering arm, his sheltering arm. I'm living by faith. I'm living by faith and feel no
My towels solve the problem that we've all had with towels. You go into the stores and they feel lotiony and soft, but then you get them home and they wind dry you. That's why I made my towels. They actually work, they're soft, and they absorb. And now I'm excited to announce two brand new lines of my towels. What makes them the best towels ever is they're now made with 100% long staple Shapir cotton. This is a combed ring spun cotton that makes my towels even softer and more absorbent than ever. And now you get a six piece set for an amazing introductory sale price as low as $29.98. So go to mypillow.com. 
Use your promo code KHNC to get my towels for only $29.98. Or you can get my designer premium line for just $20 more. Either way, you save 50% now on all my towels. They actually work. What a concept. This offer won't last long, so please order now. MyPillow.com Hi, this is Mike Morris, owner of Warriors Revolution Tactical in Longmont. At Warriors Revolution, we have the largest selection of tactical gear and ammo in northern Colorado. But what many people may not know is that we now sell firearms. And even despite the recent run on firearms and ammunition, we have plenty of product in the store, including ARs, AKs, Glocks, SIGs, HK, and more. And don't forget all the bulk ammunition at the best prices in town. Need to do a private firearms transfer? We can do that, too. I am a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, and our team is made up of veterans and security experts, not a bunch of salesmen. Our team is trained and fought with much of the actual equipment we sell. And one thing you should know is that we support the foundations and principles this great country was founded upon. So if you need tactical gear, ammo, firearms, AR parts or upgrades, and even survival accessories, stop by and visit us on Ken Pratt Boulevard and Bowen Street in Longmont, or visit warriorsrevolution.com. That's warriorsrevolution.com. This is Clay with Wagner Electric Company. We're out of Greeley. We're here to promote our Generac and Cummins standby generators and our service to the community with any electrical needs. We're located at 1517 2nd Avenue in Greeley, 970-800-3693. The biggest thing that we want to promote is that we set the standard and we're here to support you and your needs. 970-800-3693. Hello, friends. This is Bradley Dean, show host for the Sons of Liberty. Join me on KHNC 1360 AM every weekday at 8 p.m., Saturdays at 5 to 7 p.m., and Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. Holy fly paper! Join me, J.D. Plorable, for Swamp Fight, Wednesdays at 5 p.m., and Saturdays and Sundays at noon, right here on AM 1360. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC, 1360 AM, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. All of your electronic devices can be severely damaged by lightning bolts and power surges. Even worse, an EMP attack can destroy everything, leaving our technology-dependent society with no technology. But don't let that be you. 